All right. Yeah, where do you go from there? Where do you go from there? Hey, if this is your first time with us, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. Uh, we've been in this series called Lip Sync Battle, and uh, this is the first live one that we did. And uh, we've had a lot of fun, but we've also been handling some really tough subjects. So I hope that you've enjoyed it. This is our last installment, but we ne never know. We may do it again next fall. So here it is. The battles are done, and the votes are coming in. So really quick, quick tally over the last three weeks. How many of you guys think that I won the battles? How many of you guys? Oh, I'm in trouble. How many of you guys think War Corey won the battles? Yeah. Yeah. I think this has been rigged, and the Russians are involved, and I'm going to... Is that too soon? Is that too soon? Maybe. I hey, I want to talk about something really quick. Um, how many of you were part of putting these food boxes together yesterday? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I want to give you a round, of a, a round of applause, I should say, a round of hands. Uh, so thankful for what you did. Guys, uh, if you don't know this, one of our key traces here is that we want to uh, have incredible, we want to throw incredible parties. But the kind of parties that we want to throw are the parties that really, it doesn't benefit us at all. It benefits other people, specifically people that have a great need. And so yesterday was our first party that we've thrown, and we did this for people down in Puerto Rico. And we partnered with this organization called Kids Against Hunger. And we came in here, and there was a couple hundred people close to it that came yesterday. And some of them were you guys right here, but also people that don't even come to our church heard about this and came and partnered with us. And we put uh, these bags together all morning long yesterday. And so, man, we were so thrilled about what we were able to accomplish. Our hope was that we would put together 30,000 meals, but we actually put together 32,000. So thank you for your involvement in that. That was absolutely incredible. And some of you guys got my email this week, or you saw some Facebook promotion, and you saw that uh, we were calling this Sunday Show Up Sunday. And the reason we were calling it Show Up Sunday is because we wanted so many people to come and be a part of this Sunday uh, because it, for one particular reason, if we hear what I'm going to be talking about today, if we hear this together, I really do believe it's going to help us to move forward in the best way possible as a church, but also as individuals. And so we wanted everybody to come today. We wanted everybody to come and be a part of this and to hear this conversation together. But I do want to give you another heads up. Um, I'm just going to kind of have a conversation with you today. I'm not looking to have like a really polished message. Uh, there may be some times where I even kind of stop and ponder some things, because I really do want to speak uh, from my heart, from the depths of my heart today on what I'm going to be talking about. And so that may cause me to just kind of slow down every now and then and to say something differently that maybe even I planned to say. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. And again, that's going to help me transition into uh, where we're going today. What I want to talk to you about today, it has a lot to do with kind of what we did here. And it's our responses in life the different responses that we have in life. I mean, why did we do this? Why did we give up a Saturday and come in and, you know, serve for a couple hours and put together a bunch of these little bags? Because there was a need. And because there was a need, a great need, specifically with people down in Puerto Rico, and just so you know this, this will literally save lives. And we decided, you know what, that is a need that's worth our time. And so our response was to come in and to serve and put some food together and bag it up and throw it in boxes. Have you ever had somebody do something for you where they went so above and beyond whatever it was they did for you, whether it was like a nice gift or something like that, but they went so above and beyond what is typical for a person to do, you know, they just did something really nice for you, that a simple thank you wouldn't have been a, an appropriate response? You ever had something like this happen to you? I remember several years ago, 
um, back when I was still a personal trainer a long time ago. And I had been training this guy for a few years, and I was training him like three times a week, so I got to know him really, really well. He was a very successful businessman, and I was a part owner in this health and wellness company, and when we started the business, um, I actually dropped out of college uh, because it was taking so much of my time to get this business up and going. And one of the things that this guy that I was training all the time got to know, his name was Steve. He kept coming to me and saying, Aaron, you got to get back in school, man. You got to get back in school. Like, don't, don't waste the, you know, the years that you've already put in. Uh, you got, you know, so much potential. You just need to get back in school, finish your degree. And he constantly kept telling me, I'm like, I know, I know, I'll get to it someday. And then one day he walked in and he handed me an envelope full of cash, enough money to pay my first tuition to get back in school, my first semester's tuition. And as you can imagine, I'm thinking to myself, like, holy cow, like, I cannot believe that he did this. And so my response had to be a lot more than a simple thank you. I had to show him through the actions of my life of how grateful I was in that moment. So what do you think I did? Yeah, I mean, I mean, took it to Vegas, tried to triple my money. What would you know? No, I enrolled back in school, and I worked really hard, really hard, because I wanted to show him, not just tell him, but wanted to show him how thankful I was for this gift that he went above and beyond to give me. Have you ever had something like this happen in your life? Maybe for you, somebody traveled all the way across the nation, and maybe there was an event in your life, and you didn't know they were coming, and they were just coming to surprise you, so they had to buy a plane ticket, and they had to make travel arrangements and make sure you didn't know about it, and then they arrived at your doorstep or your event, and you couldn't believe that they actually went to all that trouble just for you. Maybe it was when he got down on one knee, and he put that ring on your finger, and you look down, and you thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe he spent this much money. And a simple thank you just does not seem like the appropriate response. Or maybe somebody just went above and beyond and bought you a gift, and they spent more money than you think they should have, and you're trying to figure out how to show them an appropriate way, an appropriate response of how grateful you are on the inside. Have you guys ever seen these videos where soldiers come home, moms and dads, and when they come home, uh, oftentimes this is done at sporting events, and like they'll get dressed up in the school mascot or whatever it is, and all of a sudden they come out to wherever their son or daughter is, and they reveal who they are. And in that moment, man, you can just see the gratefulness from the child. Sometimes they're old, sometimes they're young, Right, And they usually run as fast as they can, wrap their arms and even their legs around their mom and dad because they're so grateful in that moment. Not just that they're seeing their mom and dad, but for the reality that they're home safe. Man, what kind of response does that get out of us? And you wonder sometimes, like, why would they actually pause an entire game? Why would they, like, stop a, a sporting event for this to take place. And I think the people that are involved that are in charge of those things understand that when we on the sidelines, then when we, we get to observe that, like it changes us, doesn't it? It changes us. But you know what gets me more than anything? It's acts of courage and boldness. When people step up to the plate, put their life at risk, to save someone else. Maybe you've seen pictures like this where this little girl comes to find the fireman that saved her life. And you know what's different about this particular situation is there's gratitude from both ends because from the fireman, man, he's so grateful. 
that he actually was able to save this little girl and that she's doing okay. But from this little girl, you never know. I mean, maybe she's already been in the hospital for several months where, um, get healing from her injuries or whatever that looked like. And so she finally gets out. And one of the first things that she wants to do is go and find the person that's responsible for her life. And a simple thank you. It just does not seem like an appropriate response, does it? I was thinking about my message this week, and just being honest with you, this was one of those messages where um, I felt like I, I wadded up a lot of sermons and threw them away. And I just kept coming back to it, thinking, man, that's not how I want to say it. It's not how I want to say it. And kept coming back to the table. Got up about 4 o'clock this morning to even come back and look at it because this was one of those messages where I wasn't so worried about how clear I spoke. I just wanted to make sure you really got it. In thinking about this message, I was thinking about how I've responded to different things in my life and if those have been appropriate responses. But for the sake of having a little bit more fun, I'll tell you some of the things that have changed within me even as a father in, in some different areas of my responses throughout life. Uh, I remember when we've had our first kid, right? So for those of you, anybody have just one child in here? Yeah, a couple of new parents. And uh, you know that well, at least we did. We were those typical kind of quintessential parents who wanted to protect their little baby as much as anything. Emily and I had our first kid in Arizona. We had no family around, so we just didn't want to kill the little girl. And so we're doing everything that we could to make sure she didn't die. And, uh, we, you know, we were boiling pacifiers and all that. And so we were trying to just make sure that she survived. Uh, and then now we've got four kids. And so a few kids into this. I remember one night specifically, uh, we were out uh, at a church event. We were still down in Arizona at this point. And I think I've told this story, but I'll tell it again. And Jonathan, our second child, uh, he was running on a concrete barrier, kind of up off the ground about two feet, and he falls, and he gets hurt. Now, at that point, we had learned the, the, the cry that really meant he was hurt and the cry that meant he just wanted attention. And this was just the cry he wanted attention. Now, there's all kinds of people around us at this point because everybody's kind of flooding out of the church after this event was over. And so we're like, bud, get up, get up. That was our response. And my, uh, my oldest daughter, Lily, who likes to tell us how to parent sometimes, um, she, as loud as she could, said, Mom, Dad, aren't you going to be a good parent and do something about your son? <laughs> Our response to that was almost um, painful for her, uh, but that's how you change with time. Or how about this? I am a huge University of Kentucky basketball fan. Huge. I, Emily and I both graduated from the University of Kentucky. If you come and watch a basketball game with me in my house, uh, especially if it's tournament time, you'll notice that I lose sight of Jesus sometimes. And I get so amped up. You would think it's a life or death situation. You'd probably lose a little bit of respect for me. But man, I do. I just get so passionate. And my response uh, can be a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but also this, so uh, a couple weeks ago, we went over to our IT director's house here at Trace. His name's John and his wife, Lauren. And he had us come over. He said, hey, I want you guys to come over. We're going to, like, paint a painting. It's something that he does on the side. It's something he enjoys to do. And so uh, our whole team almost went over there, and we had tons of people in their living room and set it up. And he had, like, this model painting to go off of. And so we all were over there, and we're painting and having a great time. And, uh, and we finished, and again, it was fun, and we came home, and I never really knew what happened to those paintings until I came home one day, and I saw where Emily put her painting, and I came home, and I looked at it, I'm like, oh, look, Emily put, you know, look at this, guys, it's beautiful, right? I mean, Emily put up her painting, perfect pumpkins, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, man, she's, she's really showcasing her painting off here, right in the middle where everybody can see it, and then I thought to myself, well, 
well, I wonder where my painting went. So I looked around the house a little bit, and I found out she tucked it behind the lamp <laughs> where nobody could, I'm not joking. Guys, the pain is real, okay? I'm just telling you, the pain is real. And you can't even see it, but I tried, I attempted to make like a squash beside my pumpkin, and the kids kept calling it a, a pickle. And I'm like, this is my response. It, it hurt. I'm just, I just had to have that moment. Let me, uh, let me be transparent for a second. Several years ago, I remember I was still, I was a full-time minister down in Arizona at a church that was doing some really good things. And one of the things that you'll know, you'll learn about most pastors is we, we do this. Like, the reason we do this is because we want to see lives changed in Jesus, period. And I personally got into ministry because of what God did in my life and the transformation that's taken place in my life. And I knew I didn't want to be selfish with that. I knew that this was something that I wanted other people to know that this could be your life as well. And I'd been in full-time ministry for about five, six years at this point. And I remember feeling something that worried me. And what had happened, and I really didn't know why at that point, but I wasn't getting excited anymore about life change in others. And we had a lot of people getting baptized and putting their faith in Jesus at the church that I was at all the time. And on the outside, of course, I did the good pastor smile and express the way that I was supposed to be feeling. But on the inside, for some reason, the, the feeling that should have been there, that used to be there, it was gone. Or at least it was starting to fade away. And I realized in those moments, after I finally kind of started to assess the situation, that one of two things could happen. I either needed to reassess what had happened to get me there, or I would become a statistic, because a lot of people burn out of ministry. A lot of people do. And I decided to reassess. And in that moment, I started to wonder and kind of pick at things in my life. I'm like, why, why am I not responding the way that I know that I want to and have in the past. And I realized that I was getting so caught up in executing ministry. I was getting so caught up in executing the details and overseeing all the different things and making sure things were functioning the way they were that I started to lose sight of people. And because of that, I have implemented something here that will hopefully help all of us, whoever becomes a part of Trace Church, specifically on our team, will keep them from ever doing that. We call it an A-minus culture. And the A-minus culture means we want to do things well. The A stands for like, man, we still want a 4.0. We still want to work hard. We want to have excellent worship and excellent teaching and excellent children's ministry for your kids. We want to do things so well. But the minus reminds me specifically that I will never do so at the expense of people again. Ever. And so we've been a church now for about 13 and a half months. And just last week we added two more baptisms to make 40 people that have been baptized through Trace. And I don't know if I missed you, and if I did, I'm sorry, but every single time somebody goes underneath that water and comes back out, I've gone up to them, and I don't care how wet they are or how nice of clothes I have on, I give them a bear hug, and I look at them face to face. say, I'm so proud of what you just did, but not as proud as your Heavenly Father. 
can we all agree today that we're going to be the kind of church that every time we see somebody be obedient in the waters of baptism, that we're going to celebrate? And that if for some reason, for any reason, that were ever to stop taking place, that we reassess why we're doing this in the first place and come back to the drawing board because we do this for life change in Jesus, period. And so can we applaud the 40 people that have given their life to Jesus through baptism? And so that leads me to a verse that I want to read you. It's a verse you're very familiar with if you've been in the church a while. If you're new to church, this may be completely new to you. And I, I specifically chose a version of this verse that maybe you haven't heard before. It is John 3.16, but through the me message paraphrase. So I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this and think to yourself, man, if that's true, what's an appropriate response? This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted, and anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the, the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. You see, not only did Jesus pay our penalty, not only did he give us the best gift you'll ever be given through the gift of salvation, he saved our lives from certain death. Now, I want to put some flesh on this for us today. And I want you to think about this a little bit differently because kind of, you know what I'm talking about right there? If you're new to church and you're still not sure about all this Jesus stuff, maybe that sounds too spiritual for you. So just stay with me. Let's kind of go down a different road and see if this helps put some flesh on this in a different way. I was thinking this week, man, how would I respond? Like, really, Aaron, how would you respond if somebody saved your life? If somebody saved my life, how would you respond? What do you think you would do? And I imagine... I try to be as honest as I can in answering this question. Man, if somebody actually saved my life, I think I'd probably set aside my agenda, whatever was on my calendar, and I would go and find this person and let them know how appreciative that I was, that they, were, that they saved my life. I'd probably write them a card. Every time that something valuable happened in my life, I'd probably send them a text message or an email reminding them, hey, this is only possible because of what you did for me, and I just want to let you know one more time, thank you. And then I thought, Man, what if somebody saved your whole family's life? And in the process, they died. Okay, this has happened. This could be a real event, right? I don't know what that circumstance would look like, but this has happened in people's lives. That somebody would put their life on risk for my family, and in the process, they lost their own life, but because of what they did, my whole family was saved. I imagine I would get rid of anything going on in my life my family would go find their family and we would let them know that that sacrifice would never be done in vain. And we'd probably send gifts to that family every Christmas. We'd probably continue to do the same thing, let them know, man, if something happened in our life that was really cool, in any of my kids' lives, we'd send them a note and said, hey, just so you know, this happened and it only happened because of what your son or daughter or husband or wife, whoever it would have been, did for our behalf. And then I'd probably look at my kids 
on almost a daily basis and say, guys, we can never take this life for granted because somebody gave their life up so that we could live. That should cause us to live differently, and I would remind my kids as often as I needed to that that was a reality. So maybe that would be similar to your response. Maybe that's close to it. Jesus not only died for my family, he died for everyone's family. And if, you're, if you'll put your faith in him, he'll give you the best gift, gift you've ever received. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. What should our response look like? It is an appropriate response. Hey, thanks. Is an appropriate response coming to church once a month? Is an appropriate response singing a worship song from now and then? If we were to ask Jesus, I think he would tell you. I think he actually says it pretty clearly in the gospel. He would say, listen, all I want you to do since I gave you my life is I want you to give me yours. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, which means student, if you want to be my student, if you want to come and you want to follow after me, then I need you to deny yourself. Pick up your own cross, I mean make your own sacrifices, and follow me daily. That's what it looks like. That's an appropriate response. You see, Jesus couldn't have done anything greater. It was the greatest act of love. It says this in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, to love each other. And in the, sa in the same way that I have loved you, there is no greater love. Everybody say, no greater love. There's no greater love. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And Jesus did that for me, and he did it for my family, and he did it for all of you. What does an appropriate response look like? And that leads me to my one thing today. Friends, it really is as simple as this. There is nothing more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. Nothing. There is nothing, nothing more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. And based on what he did for us, it shouldn't just be about what we say with our lips anymore. It should be how we're backing it up with our lives daily. There's no greater love than what Jesus did for you and for me and our family and for our kids. You see, the message of Jesus is the greatest message ever. And the fact that Jesus defeated death we now have nothing to fear, truly. We have nothing to fear and nothing to lose. And once we die, and our time here is done, and we take our last breath, we then make a divine move to heaven where we get to spend an eternity with him. That is the gift of salvation. We get to spend an eternity with Jesus if you'll accept the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. That's why Paul says in one of his letters, he says, listen, man, to live is everything Jesus he says, to live is Christ, and to die, man, I'm not doing anything but gaining an opportunity to spend my time with Jesus every single day. In other words, to live right now, everything that I do, every single day, day-to-day -day moment, everything, to live means to be for Jesus. And when I die, then I get to spend my rest, the rest of my eternity with him. That's pretty stinking clear, if you ask me. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with three particular areas now, you, you can respond differently. You really can. But I want to close with three particular areas, specific areas, where I think Jesus deserves a response from us. I really do. Now, I get it. There's people in this room right now, and you've 
you've not put your faith in Christ, and if you don't know that much about this kind of church, we welcome you to come and continue to ask questions. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong here, okay? I want to make that clear. But many of us in here have already given our life to Jesus, and so I want to talk about some appropriate responses. Based on everything that we just went through. Now, you may not have identified with everything that I said, but to a great extent, you probably identified with that you would have very similar responses to what I explained. And so, what should our response look like for the best gift that could ever be given? Here's where I want to start. I think we need to be bold in three areas, beginning with invitations. Guys, I believe in what we're doing here. I really believe in what we're doing here. And because I've had so many conversations with people that have come here that have been disconnected from the church and disconnected for God, from God for a long time, I'm hearing how this church, for whatever reason, is allowing you to get reconnected and reigniting your faith once again. And here's what I'm learning. You become one of the best inviters because what you can now do is you can empathize with people that some other people can because at one point in time for maybe it was a bad church experience or a bad experience you had with other Christians I think we've probably all been there some form or fashion in our life and now you can look to people that have their own excuses of why they're not getting connected to a local church you can say listen I've been there I get it I get it but why don't you come and check out this new place called Trace now I didn't mean for that to rhyme it just did but I also know this Corey and I were talking about this the other day. Not everybody's going to accept an invitation to church. I don't know if some of you guys saw my Facebook page. I threw a question out there this past week and said, hey, what keeps you from inviting people to church? I think I got about 50 responses, and most of them said something to the extent of, man, I'm afraid in the past, and this is not even people that come to our church, but they said I was afraid of how they'd be treated. I want you to know we work really hard, like really hard, we're thinking of your friends, and if you're that friend that got invited here today for the first time, I'm sorry if this feels kind of awkward because I'm kind of talking about you, but like we work really hard to make sure that everybody feels loved and welcomed here. And one of the things that makes me the most upset as the lead pastor here is if I ever hear that didn't happen. We're working really hard, but we get, like we get that not everybody's going to come to church. And so here's where I want to encourage you. I want you to think about this differently. I want you to live, don't miss this, I want you to live an invitational life. I want you to live the type of life that where you're reflecting the love of Jesus in such a radical way that it's constantly inviting people closer to you for some reason. I want you to live an invitational life. And maybe they'll never step foot in this church, but they'll come to your house. They'll go for a hike with you. And in that moment, maybe you can speak of Jesus in a very natural way. You don't have to be weird. <laughs> Sometimes that's where we go wrong. We try to force it. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. But no matter what, that we stay invested in people's lives, no matter if they never come with us or not. There was an interesting thing that happened to Emily, my wife, several years ago. We, we, again, we were still living down in Arizona, and we had some new neighbors move in, uh, a few houses down. And they were very different from us. We, could, we kind of picked this up right off the bat. But they're, they're our neighbors. And so we loved them, and we invited them down for dinner and started to get to know them a little bit. And Emily started hanging out with them. And we knew really quickly, you know, they weren't church people, they weren't Christians, and um, I think they made a few statements that kind of let us know they didn't want anything to do with that. And then one day, as Easter's approaching, my wife is spending time with the gal, and, uh, and they're not married, by the way, so they're living together, and uh, Emily says, hey, I, you know, I don't know if you're inter interested or not, but we'd love to have you come to our church for Easter. And her response was this, don't miss this. She said, no, probably not. And, and she said this honestly, can we still be friends? I want you to think about that. 
Because I think for a lot of people, once they received an invitation and and they turned it down, if you disengaged from their life, they were nothing more than an agenda. Not here. Not here. And of course, Emily looked at her and said, no, and turned around and walked out the door. No. (laughs) (coughs) If you know my wife, you know she'd never do that. And we stayed in bed, and she's still friends with her to, to, to this day. And she's my Facebook friend or whatever, you know. So she actually sees all this stuff about Jesus that we put on there. Bold step response number two is this. I want you to be, I think we need to be more bold in our prayer life. I think we need to be more bold in our prayer life. Like if we really believe that Jesus conquered death, and I don't have a lot of time to go into this. Some of you guys kind of know the underlying story here. And if you don't, feel free to reach out to me and I'll explain all this to you on another, in another time. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, that actually allows us to talk with God. Before we couldn't do that. You had to make all these sacrifices over here on the side and go through all these temple processes. <clears throat> Excuse me. But because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can now talk to our Father in heaven anytime we want. And I've said this before, I wonder sometimes to the extent that God went to so that we could have a conversation with him, meaning sending his very own son to die on our behalf so that we now have an open communication line with him, I wonder how he feels when we don't use it. I wonder if it's awkward silence for God. Because of how great measures how many great measures he went to to allow that to happen for us we can talk to him at any point in time and so i want you to be more bold in your prayer life let me give you three specific areas you don't it doesn't have to be this but maybe you can do this i want you to pick one person in your life that you know doesn't know jesus and i want to take I want you to take some lipstick or an expo marker and i want you to write it on your mirror where you brush your teeth in the morning and in the night hopefully you brush your teeth and every time you look and every time you're scrubbing away I want you to look at that name, and I just want you to pray for that person. I just want you to pray every single stinking day, twice a day, hopefully. You should do that. It's with Dennis in the room. You can get an amen. Um, every day, and look at that name and pray for that person. Number two, I want you to pray that God gives you more opportunities to share your faith, naturally. If you, ask, if you were to ask me, hey, what's the number one prayer you feel, feel like God has answered for you? I would say I feel like the number one prayer God has answered for me is when I prayed, God, would you set up a divine appointment for me to have an opportunity to share Jesus with others? He answers that prayer. Man, he wants to put people in your life. If you're ready and willing and able to speak on behalf of Jesus for himself. Let me read you a verse really quick out of 2 Corinthians 5.21. I skipped this. If you guys can go back to it, find it really quick. That'd be great. God has given us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Don't you love that? Isn't there enough division in our world already? God wants us to be the glue to help reunite, reunite people once again. Bold prayer number three, really quick, before I get to the last one. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for the mission of our church and the leadership of this church, understanding that, uh, guys, we've got big dreams for what we think God can accomplish here, and we need divine wisdom in order to help accomplish a lot of those dreams. And we need prayer. We'll never be the type of leadership here where we say we got it figured out. We need God's divine wisdom constantly. And so... Um, man, if you would just pray, commit to praying for our church and the, specifically the leaders here at Trace, uh, I know I would deeply appreciate it. 
Last one. I want you to be bold in your giving. Everybody look up here really quick. I'm unashamedly going to ask you to be bold in your giving here. And I know that I'm taking a risk here because there's people in this room right now and you've been a part of churches that have manipulated this topic. I get it. We t we've talked about this before. If this is your first time here, you haven't heard a lot of the things that we've talked about this before in the past. So let me say one thing. If you really do think like this is a manipulative topic for us just to get your money, please go give it somewhere else. Please, but give it away nonetheless. Jesus says the number one thing that's likely to come in between you and him is mammon, which is the God of money. It's money's attempt to tell you it can do everything that God can, so you really don't need God. Friends, I want us to be more bold in our giving. Maybe you can set aside your own little personal giving fund where if somebody is in need around you, a neighbor, a coworker, family member, you've already planned to be generous, and so you've got a fund where you can grab that money and you can send it in their direction. Guys, I want us to be bold in our giving. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. You probably don't. Almost all of us that are on staff here, before we got this church started, we're only a 13-month-old church. We actually had to raise our salaries for the first couple of years. And so all the people that you see on staff here, we, we've raised a lot of our salaries. Now, that's going to go away at the end of next year. And so in this next calendar year, between January and December, we have a $10,000 gap a month. Right now, we fill that $10,000 gap with outside resources from other churches who believe in what we're doing. Other people who don't even know or go here that believe in what we're doing give us money so that we can help raise our own salaries so that we can accomplish God's work here through Trace. I'm asking you to be bold in your giving, and I'm doing that unashamedly because I believe in what God is doing here. And based on what Jesus did for us and what God did for us, what did he do? He gave. He gave his one and only son. Man, I think one of our natural responses to that message is to give and to give boldly. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. Here's how I want to end. I want to end with uh, something that Steve Carter said in his book, This Invitational Life. He says this, God's heartbeat, God's heartbeat is for humanity, and he's inviting us to be ministers of reconciliation. He has given us a story of reconciliation, and we are his ambassadors, as if God was making his appeal through us. He wants to use you. So when he whispers, please say yes. You see, Jesus traveled a great distance for you and me, didn't he? He left heaven to come to earth. He paid a lot of money, so to speak, for you and me, a lot more than what it would cost to go back to school or a first semester's worth of tuition. He paid with his life. And he offers a gift to us today. He offers a gift that it will be unlike any other gift that we'll ever receive. And we really won't understand that until we get to see it. And I bet if you only had a three-second glimpse of heaven, you'd probably live differently for the rest of your life. I don't think an appropriate response is a simple thank you. I think an appropriate response is giving him our lives. Let's pray. Lord, all of us have things that are distracting us. And if I, being a full-time vocational minister, with a complete, deep passion and conviction, want to get into ministry for your sake and want to see lives transformed for Jesus, and at some point I lost sight of that, I know there are people in this room that have lost sight of that. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to go through a reassessment to understand that if 
our response isn't a type of gratitude that leads us to live our life differently for you. Not that we're earning any of your favor. You've forgiven any mistakes and all mistakes that we'll ever have from now and into the future, but it's about reflecting who you are and how we live, that that should be a natural response because by doing that, it's going to draw more people into your presence. It's going to draw more eyes to your son, Jesus, and that is the greatest message and mission ever. So God, will you continue to show us how we can do that daily? And whether it's these three bold moves that I encourage these, these guys to participate in, God, just show them. Show them what a response should look like. I pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said?